0: You're listening to the Toolstation Western League Podcast with Ian Knockolds and Tom Hiscott.
1: Welcome, listeners, to episode 39 of the Toolstation Western League Podcast with me, Ian Knockolds, and I am delighted to be joined on the line by Mr James Healy, our social media manager. Hello, James. How are you?
2: Very well, Ian. Very well. How about yourself? I'm all right. This is an emotional
1: um, episode. This is our last of the season. And what a season it has been. It's got an epic feel about it. Uh, It's the Snyder Cut. You know, it is our Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, It is my Sistine Chapel. Uh, It is my Mona Lisa. And um, I hope you've taken a week off work because um, um, this is going to go on for quite some time. So are you sitting comfortably,
2: James? I am comfortable. My wife's home because she's a primary school teacher, so she's got my desk. So I'm actually sat really comfortably on, on our bed at the moment. Uh, which is um, yeah, it's nice. Got a nice well, new mattress, so it's lovely.
1: Try not to nod off because we are <laughs> going to be here for quite some time. Um, on on this um, on this week's episode of the podcast, um, we will be kicking off with the Les Phillips Cup final, um, and of course, James was there, so he's going to give us his thoughts on the game before we hear from the winning manager, Lee Davidson, the manager of Bradford Town. I'm um, going to give you a little bit of an update on how Nathan Truman's um, getting on. Of course, he was the uh, captain of Portishead. Who um, was diagnosed um, in december uh, with um, uh, with with cancer, and um, so we'll be getting an update on on how on how he's been getting on. Uh, and then we're going to hear from James Skinner, uh, the secretary at bitton, uh, who's uh, who's also uh, very interested in mental health and um, and talking about that in the context of football. We are going to be hearing from one of our new teams, uh, Mausel, and their manager, Jay Cash. Uh, before we hear from one of our departing teams, uh, Mark Russell, the chairman, of course, of Plymouth Parkway. Uh, an old friend and favourite on the podcast, the uh, the non-league Nagelsman Ben Redford um, also joins us on this episode of the podcast. And then we finish with um, with uh, an, an interview that I'm I'm really pleased with. You'll have to forgive me, listeners, because I've been entirely self-indulgent with this one, but it's been a very long time since we were able to have... Devises Town, represented on the, uh, on the podcast. So I, I take no, um, I, I'll take no complaints at all with, with our big finish to this season's podcast coming from Stuart Swan and Dan Sloan. Um, and a jolly time was had by all. So that's our running order. Let's get into the <laughs> meat and drink of this week's um, episode then. And um, James, kick us off with your, your tale of street and the Les Phillips Cup final.
2: I can tell you it was absolutely baking down there. Um, Street hosted the final superbly well. Hospitality from everyone at Street was second to none. It was uh, really well organised from the moment I arrived to the moment I left. I just felt so welcome. So hats off to everyone at Street. They did a fantastic job in hosting the Les Phillips Cup final. I'm sure both sides and everyone who attended will agree with what I've just said there. It was uh, was a really good day down there. Piping hot. Uh, So fair play to the players for running around in that in that heat they had a couple of drinks breaks but i made the error of going in my jeans and a thick jumper because it was cloudy when i left home and i regretted that decision as soon as i got down to street but anyway uh the game itself was uh very entertaining uh bradford ran out uh ran out one nil winners uh close encounter um yeah bradford scored after eight minutes uh when jake brown cut in from the wing uh to fire home and uh Diving Liam Kingston in the uh, Bridgewater goal. Um, and then just before the break, Bradford's uh, skipper, uh, Ross Lye, was uh, sin which was the first of uh, a couple of decisions by the referee, uh, who I thought had quite a good game, but I think a couple may disagree with me on that one, but I thought he was uh, <laughs> good throughout. Uh, yeah, so Bradford had their skipper, sin On the break, but Bridgewater couldn't take advantage of, uh, of them being a man down. Uh, so... Bradford went into the break, leading 1-0. Uh, in the second half, Bridgewater had a goal chalked off when uh, Ellis headed home powerfully, but the referee uh, deemed that he had fouled the goalkeeper who was then down on the floor for a little while and required a bit of treatment. Um, Bridgewater then found themselves down to 10 men uh, when Greenwood were dismissed for a second yellow card. Uh, so that made their task even even harder. And then deep into injury time, they uh, found themselves down to nine when uh, when Llewellyn joined Greenwood in the dressing room uh, for a foul for being the last man when uh, Bradford Town threw through on goal, he just uh, brought his man down and saw a straight red. So, yeah, it was an eventful game, enjoyable. I think everyone that was there enjoyed it, and uh, Bradford ran 1 0 winners.
1: Splendid. And you had a good time. Did you, did you see lots of smiling, happy faces?
2: Yeah, it was nice to see a, it was a good crowd of over 500 there, everyone smiling. There was singing behind both goals by both sets of fans because both teams have good uh, good following um, for away games as well. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a really nice day. And as I said, Street put on a good show for everybody. And the hospitality was fantastic. And I think everyone there enjoyed it. Unfortunately, there has to be a loser. That was Bridgewater this year. But many congratulations to Bradford.
1: Absolutely right. I mean, and uh, I think personally, I'm really pleased that the, the, the league went ahead with concluding the, the Les Phillips Cup because, of course, it wasn't this season's Les Phillips Cup. It was the previous season's Les Phillips Cup. But despite everything we've been through with COVID, I think it's nice that we've actually been able to finish something. So um, congratulations to everybody for that. And in particular, congratulations to Lee Davidson, of course, the winning manager on the day. Lee's been on the podcast over the last couple of weeks and I thought it would be a good idea to just give him that opportunity to reflect on that uh, on that win Uh, so he joins us again this week I started my conversation with Lee by reflecting on the fact that it's not only a great achievement to get to the final of a competition in a COVID interrupted season but actually to win it yeah I think it was to, to leave on a high after
3: everything that's been going on over the last two years. You know, a couple of years ago, we were we were top of the league, you know, just just ahead of Plymouth. Um, and unfortunately, that was null And void. Last year, we had to, a bit of a rebuilding process, um, and it was it was nice to finish with uh, you know, a couple of good performances, um, and obviously, more importantly, a cup win.
1: You've won the Les Phillips Cup before. You were a player at Melksham at the time. How did Saturday's experience compare?
3: Yeah, it was fantastic. You know, I think that well, you know, with Melksham as a player, I was, I was delighted to be, to be involved in it. And, and as a manager, it was, it was slightly different because you know, I did have to play. But when I when I came off, it was more of a, a proud for the rest of the players and all the the shift that they put in, and the management team, and, and all the fans. I was kind of a little bit more aware of that, I think,
1: than whereas as a player, I was just thinking, you know, we've we've done it, which is fantastic. Of course, you had a crucial role to play in that Les Phillips Cup win for Melcham. You scored the winning penalty, didn't you?
3: Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I stepped up to, uh, to, to to score the winner, which is always nice. But again, just like on Saturday, you know, there's only so much one person can do and you can't do it without the rest of your team. And if the, the other boys had and slide theirs away nicely, then, you know, it wouldn't have mattered. if.
1: I put mine away. So you had that experience as a player and the pressure that went with it and I know you played again on Saturday but to, to have the extra mantle of being a manager this time, did that change your perspective on the whole occasion? Yeah, a little bit. I think
3: for the first time in quite a while I was actually really nervous going into in, into the game. You know, I wanted to provide the fans Know, the, the players and, and the rest of the management group I wanted to provide them with a little bit of success so actually we've, we've got so much potential here but I think now they're beginning to realise what we're actually
1: capable of 1-0 on the day was it as close as the scoreline suggests um it probably was Bridge were a very good team Um, you know
3: towards the end when they were pushing forward we broke through a couple of times James Billings had a one-on-one save and Shea our striker had a a volley save from about three yards point blank so their keeper you know did really well Um, but looking back they had a goal disallowed rightly so I must add after there was a foul on the keeper but you know it was was, was touch and go and it it was a great game of Bridge we were a a credit to themselves and a credit to the league that they kept going and going and going which is what I think all the fans wanted to see that close game that
1: you, you mentioned all the fans there. There was another huge crowd for the final. Did that make it feel a bit more like the old normal? Yeah, it did. To be fair, yeah. Because obviously, with uh, the Bradford fans, they follow you home or away. They're you know
3: they fantastic. But we had to delight the Bridgerton fans as well, and they were behind the goal and they were you know very vocal. So all of that kind of to a, a really nice atmosphere for everyone, I think.
1: And what reaction have you had from your fans? It must have meant an awful lot to them to come away with some silverware for this season. <laughs> Yeah, you know, for, for them, I think it's been a long time overdue. They came
3: so close, you know, a couple of years ago to being promoted and just felt a little bit short. And They've always been in and around kind of the cup competitions. So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm delighted that it was it, it was kind of my management team that, that managed to, to lead them to a little bit more success and actually get over the final line. But the, the fans have deserved, you know, something to celebrate for all they've put in home and away over
1: the years, absolutely. So all the talk has been about the restructuring and the strength of teams coming out of Devils. Devon and Cornwall, and of course the previous winners of the Les Phillips Cup before you were Plymouth Parkway. But Bridgewater beat Tavistock, and you beat Bridgewater, so does that send a signal across the Western League that yes, we know that Devon and Cornwall will be strong, but there is talent in other parts of the league as well?
3: Uh, absolutely, yeah. It goes the saying, you know, we, we beat Tavistock last year, 4-1 down at their place. so uh, I think as long as you set up right as a team, uh, there's, there's other teams in it that are actually going to challenge, and it wouldn't be You know, I think there'll be some surprise packages next year from people like Bridgewater who could be up and around,
1: definitely. One final question, Lee, before I let you go, um, because you joked last time we spoke that you were going to keep your hands on the trophy if you won it. So is the trophy safe, and can you confirm that we'll be getting it back?
3: Uh, I'll have to speak to the uh, committee to see if we can locate it uh, to make sure you get it back, but yeah, I'm sure there'll be... uh they
1: will be it back in, not a problem. Do we need to get the services of Pickles the Dog? <laughs> try, try and find it for us, yeah, that'll be helpful. And my thanks to Lee for his time. Now then moving on to uh, to Nathan Truman. We've heard from Nathan a couple of times on the podcast, um, uh, well in lockdown, I suppose we would what we would say. Um Nathan, of course, was diagnosed with um a synovial sarcoma and that was back in december 2020 he's only 20 years old and um uh, he he was under a series of uh, chemotherapy treatments well um i've been following his progress closely on the uh, social media and um it it looks like not only has he had his operation but he's now um home and recovering it was a grueling 13 hours of surgery um, that he had, and he did have to stay in hospital for some time. I had hoped that uh, before we hung up the microphone, uh, we might be able to get a uh, an update from Nathan himself. And he has posted a couple of videos on on social media, so I do recommend that you go and check those out. But um, he he's clearly um, um, really been been through the wars and uh, i think we we really do need to let him uh, recover um the tumor as i understand it was deeper than expected so it was more difficult to remove than had been originally planned however the amazing sur- surgeons didn't damage any muscle or bone there was just a little nerve and blood vessel damage which was expected and uh, nathan and his team team truman have been very quick to praise the surgeons at southmead for the um for the unbelievable um job that they've done and um and I can inform you that uh, that currently nathan's um, um total uh, for his fundraising is over thirty eight thousand pounds. Of course he is raising money for um, sarcoma UK and the Teenage Cancer Trust, and he has a target of fifty thousand um, pounds which I really hope uh, that he he gets to and passes, and we will be um, supporting him and in his recovery. Um, obviously, when we get back um, with the podcast next uh, next season, but um, hopefully there will be some more fundraising events. I know there is talk of a family fund day at um, at Portishead, um, so please stay glued to uh, to social media and um, uh, and and you'll see hopefully some um, publicity around that and how you can do your bit um, to support those fantastic charities and Nathan's recovery as well. Now, moving on to our next interview, then, it's with James Skinner. James is the secretary at Bitten. Uh, he's also the man bef- behind the Talk Football Twitter account. Uh, now, James was very keen to plug a family fun day and uh, bit Bitten the hosting. It is in aid of charity. And I started off by asking James to tell us a little bit about what the club had planned.
0: Yeah, Ian, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, so on the 24th of July, um, we're having a charity fun day at the club. Um, there will be a football match, which, which obviously is quite important at a football club, um, which will be kicking off at two o'clock, um, and it's a it'll be our first in a bit for a team. Organised by Adam Linton, who used to play for the club. Um, Adam has decided he wants to raise some money for uh, Mind, Charity Mind, and our manager, Dan Landon, has suggested that we also split the money between Mind and Cancer Research UK. So any money that's raised over the day will go to those two fantastic charities. There'll be stuff for kids' um, like activities throughout the day, there'll be an auction, a raffle. Um, it, it'd be a good family day for everybody to get involved
1: in. Well, I, I certainly hope that the uh, we have a good day for the for the weather, and it's it's lovely um, that obviously there's other stuff going on for the families um, as well. I mean, I I'll certainly like to bring my my kids along. I mean, can you Brilliant. tell us a little bit about why you've um, you know you've chosen the two charities, um, Mind and, and Cancer Research UK? Yes, yeah,
0: so last last year I set up a fundraising campaign on on Twitter called. Um, 1v1 talk football. So from a personal point of view, I, I know a few people that have suffered with mental health over the, over the last sort of year, 18, like 12 months, 18 months. Um, and I think everybody has been impacted in some way with mental health. Um, and, and the pandemic's just in, increased that terribly. Um, so Adam as well, who's organised the team that we'll be playing, uh, he's a personal... Um, experiences with with people suffering from mental health. Obviously, I don't want to go into too much detail on that because that's personal to Adam. Um, And Dan Langdon has that personal experience of um, people suffering with with cancer. Um, So, yeah, collectively, they're they're two fantastic charities that do amazing work to raise money and help people. And we just wanted to support as much as we could, really.
1: I think you're absolutely right with the charities that you've you've mentioned I, I don't think there's a single person who'll be listening to this who hasn't been touched either you know by a mental health issue or, or you know or indeed cancer you know I think we you know, with it within our families we we you know we know about these these twin evils that, that you know that that exist and you know I think we spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about mental health issues during you know, the various lockdowns we've had, we've we've run our think of a fan campaign because we know that for supporters how difficult it is not just to miss the football, but also to miss those friendships, those conversations, you know, that we enjoy on a Saturday afternoon. You know, over a pint. And I think that perhaps, you know, we we, we all feel really optimistic about next season. We're all really looking forward to getting the league back up and running again. But we can't forget, can we? I, I think Covid is going to cast a long shadow and these mental health issues, they're not going to go away. We could push them back down again and try to forget about them. But that's not the right thing to do, is it?
0: It's, it's, not, it's not the right thing to do at all. I mean, they're, they're not going to go away, and, and obviously the pandemic hasn't gone away yet, but it looks like we are sort of aiming back towards some some sort of normality, whatever that is now, who knows. But ho- hopefully, like you said, we can get pre-season games up and running. We, we, we've, we've got a few games organised um, for late June, early July pre-season games, um, and, and people can get back to what they do and what they love, all being well. And, yeah, I mean, it is important that people feel safe and, and and confident to have these conversations. You know, they're they're not conversations about mental health shouldn't be taboo subject. You know, it is you, you meet up with your mates on a Saturday or a Tuesday night at a footballer or whatever whenever it is and, and you have a laugh and you have a drink and people should should feel feel safe having these conversations with, with their friends. But sadly that's not often that more more often than not that's not the case unfortunately.
1: Let's move away from from, um, from that for a while then and, and, I mean, let's talk about the football. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, we you know, let, looking positively at next season, how how are you feeling about the new campaign? I mean, what are your ambitions for Bitten?
0: So, I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here to say that next season we, we want to go up, you know, we, we want to win the league and go up. We've, we've made a few sign-ins um, already, getting ready for next season. The squad have been training but not, not the whole team have been trading together they will be soon we've obviously got new teams in our league with um, with a bit more traveling but that 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 is that that is what it is you know we've lost a couple of teams that we've enjoyed playing over the years and and we got new teams that be nice new grounds to visit this season albeit they are quite a distance away <laughs> um, but yeah I mean our, our aim 100% next season our aim is, is to to Hopefully win the league and go up. And I know that might sound a bit arrogant, but but
1: that is that is the aim. I mean, it is going to be a very competitive league next season, isn't it? I don't know where do if you it will be. Yeah. Where do you think your biggest threats are going to come from? Because um, obviously Tavistock are still with us, and I, you know, if we if we take a look at what's going on at Bridgewater at the moment, I mean, things that look things look like they're really hotting up there, and that's to say nothing about the new teams that are joining us from the peninsula.
4: That's
0: right, there's a couple of unknowns in, in, in the um, in the league next season with the ones that are joining us. But I'll, I'll be totally honest with you, I, I don't worry too much about what other people are doing, I just focus on what we're doing. And it, and it will be a tough league, don't get me wrong, it will be a tough league, um, as it always is. And, and it's great, it is a tough league, because competition is always good, you know, but I, I'm just focusing on what we're doing. I do believe, maybe this me, maybe but I do believe we, we can have a good season next season.
1: Well, some of those new signings that you mentioned are pretty eye-catching. I mean, Charlie Hitchens you've brought in from Porton Rovers and, of course, a name that many in the Western League will remember. Adam Carter is going to be joining you. So, I mean, these things, you know, it, it is looking exciting for you, isn't it?
0: It is looking exciting, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, again, I'm sure other clubs are looking at us and thinking we're, we're making some good signings and i got no doubt that other clubs will be making their own, doing their own business over the next few weeks, getting ready as well, so yeah, like I said, we've we just got to focus on what we're doing, get our training right um, and, and not really worry about what other people are doing or, or what other people are potentially saying about us with, with the signings that we're making, you know, we, we focus on our own business and let, let others focus on theirs.
1: Well, before we let you go, I, I did want to give you a, a bit of an opportunity to talk. You mentioned it before about, your, your, you know, the Twitter um, site you've set up, 1v1 Talk Football. I mean, can you t- for people who, who are listening to this who perhaps want to give that, you know, want to look you up on Twitter, you know, what, what's, uh, what, what's that all about?
0: Yeah, so I mean, it's just something I set up sort of, sort of pre-pandemic um, and then the pandemic put a, put, put a stop to it really good. I, I didn't want to put pressure on people to... Um, sort of donate to charity or anything like that but it's a page that i set up on on twitter the handle is at 1v1 underscore talk football um and i i just tweet about football and, and it's basically trying to get people to start start a conversation about mental health what's using football is the the starter for that conversation you know i mean everybody men women everybody love football have a conversation about football on, on a daily basis and it's just trying to get mental health to be included in that conversation. I, I just feel, we, we all love football, you know, everybody lives, listening to this podcast love football um, and if we can get people talking about mental health through football, I just think it can make such a difference.
1: That's a very positive um, uh, message uh, and one last time, James, just before we let you go, can you remind us, when is the charity day uh, and who are the charities that will be benefiting from it?
0: So the charity day is on Saturday 24th of July. The club will be open from 12 o'clock. There will be a game at 2 o'clock. And like I said, there will be loads of activities throughout the day. Um, The two great charities that are benefiting from it will be Mind and Cancer Research UK.
1: And my thanks to James for his time. Now, Jim, mental health is a subject that we have uh, returned to on a number of occasions um, during lockdown. And I know it's an area that you've taken a personal uh, interesting I mean I, the, I think the last time we spoke we just we just you just come to the end of your uh, your your training hadn't you and you were I think you had some ideas that you were kicking around for um, walking groups
2: that's right yeah so I've finished my training now so I'm hoping to uh, set up some talking groups in the next couple of weeks uh, mainly around by myself up here in Bristol uh, but I wouldn't mind expanding it into I'm looking at not just football but other sports as well um and not maybe not professional sports either. So uh Tall Station Western League, uh the local cricket leagues as well, um reaching out to teams in those leagues as well, potentially using maybe their grounds um to host host the meetings basically and then hopefully try and get some some blokes along. Uh, it's directed mainly for mainly for men. Well it is all, all for men really, because men are notoriously not very good at reaching out or speaking. So yeah, it's um, something that I've always been interested in in doing. Um and since the uh, uh trying to definitely Collins done at Yovo, I didn't know him, but it hit me quite hard that one for some reason. Um so since then, yeah, I've been looking at seriously setting up some some talking groups. So yeah, it's um, it's in progress, work in progress.
1: I know that um you've obviously spent a lot of time around Players in your role as you know as a as a professional club media officer, and uh, I think that I don't know if there's um if we have a an idea in our mind about the sorts sorts of people who might struggle with their mental health, but I guess one of the groups that we don't associate with that is professional sportsmen, particularly I suppose you know ones that we consider to be well paid um, but actually at every level of the game, at every level of the pyramid, um players are as important as anybody else. I know we've done obviously think of a fan. Um, but, you know, young men in their 20s, uh, you know, indeed in their early 30s, particularly if they've got, um, you know, they're starting on their careers and they've got family responsibilities. The mental health pressures can be as severe on them as they can be on anybody, can't they?
2: It can. It affects everybody. Um, you always see on social media that people say, how can he be depressed because he earns thousands of pounds a week? Money isn't everything, is it? I mean. It doesn't bring you happiness. I'm sure it helps, but it doesn't, doesn't solve everything. These fellas are on, could be on thousands of pounds a week, but it's still not happy in what whatever life they're living away from football. It's, yeah, I mean, as you said, I've been involved in football and I know what dressing rooms are like. So the majority of people listening to this are probably players that have played or are still playing, know what football dressing rooms are like. They are brutal places. If if someone shows one weakness, it's pounced upon for banter. But I, all I would say is just think about that banter. Is is it going too far? Think of the person who you're taking the mick out of. Yeah, they could be laughing at it on the front, but deep down that's really hurt, hurt them. And it's just adding to their worries or their pressures. So, yeah, just, just think about stuff before you uh, think that it's just banter.
1: Absolutely right. And I'm sure that when we come back next season, Jim, you know, the mental health issue uh, is something that we're going to return to because, you know, just hopefully we won't be occupied entirely by the coronavirus. Um, but I think we will be living with its legacy. And I think that the mental health legacy is going to be something that we're going to need to address and not not shy away from and not cover up. So uh, so that's um, that's we'll park that for now and return to it um return to it next season. Uh, Now our next interview uh, is with one of our new member clubs. Now we don't normally do this, but I thought, well, hang it. Why not? You know, (laughs) let's break with convention. And, um, and let's hear from one of our new member clubs, even before a ball has been kicked in the new season. And I was delighted that Jake Ash, the manager of Mouse Hall, agreed to have a a chat with me. Um, Jake was really, um, really enthusiastic and really keen about the prospects for his club joining the Tool Station. Um, Western League. So I started off by asking him what it means for Mousel to take this step up into the Western League.
3: Yeah, d- d- delighted
5: to take the step up and, and, and delighted to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. You know, I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, the club, are, the club are super ambitious and um, have made no secret, certainly down in Cornwall, of, the, of their desire to, to push on and, and, and be successful. And obviously. In the past, down in Cornwall, it's been really, really difficult um, to make that step up. You know, the, the the step from from sort of step six football to step five football there comes with a great deal more in terms of um, commitment and, and travel and uh, and finance. You know, because of where we are located, especially especially us being located um, right in the corner of the of the country, um, it makes it really difficult. So, obviously, the the, the restructuring is. is been sort of rumbling on for a little while and, and um, we found ourselves in first first place um, at Christmas and, and felt like we were in a really good position to, to, to put ourselves in a place to get promoted. So obviously when the season came to an end, we were really, really disappointed, as were a lot of people. Um, and, and kind of expected really nothing to come of it um, and once the restructuring news came out we, we, we felt like we'd have a chance but, but then of course we heard that it would be done on two season points per game and that actually ended up putting us in third place um, so we, we felt like we probably missed out on the opportunity which is really disappointing because I think perhaps um, unlike for some other clubs perhaps based in, in other parts of the, the, the country I, I think that the, the excitement for Cornish clubs going up into the Western League down here is really high you know people want to and progress and develop, and that's that's the pathway for clubs down here. Unfortunately, you know, for for, for, the, for some of the other clubs, you've got to travel, but that is the pathway. And um, we thought we'd miss out, but obviously, we've done enough with our points per game to to put us first nationally. Um, once once the other teams that had been that should be promoted have been promoted, so we were we were fortunate enough to get offered the the opportunity to go up. And you know, we're really excited to join the league, um, and yeah, and see where it takes us.
1: Well, you are very welcome. Now, let's talk about the elephant in the room, and that's travel. <laughs> Next season, you will be travelling 5,588 miles. And now, the league average is just over 3,000. So, how do you feel about that?
5: Uh, we feel fine. Um, you know, we we know that, and we're aware that, there are certain clubs that are in the Western League, that is a trip to Maalzoul on a Tuesday is entirely unappealing, um, and probably on a Saturday as well. But one thing I would say is, I, I was I was fortunate enough to go through the Western League Division One and the Premier League playing for playing for Truro back in sort of the mid two thousands when the club got promoted from the South Western leagues it was back then. And from my experience, every team that ever came down down to Cornwall um and we, we beat most of them because we we, we we were <laughs> successful we went through the leagues but they always enjoyed it they always made a day of it I think our home record ended up being worse than our uh, away record because teams used to just make a weekend of it and just come down and, and absolutely go for it on the pitch knowing that they had a night out on a Saturday um but but listen we know that there's there's a cost implication in that for clubs that are coming down here you know and, and, and we appreciate that's not that's not ideal for for clubs and you know clubs are in a financial position thanks to the year that we've just had that's probably not as good as they would like to be. But ultimately, the clubs down here want to progress through the National League system. And, you know, I think I heard um, the, the, the chairman on the podcast last week said that, you know, this, this is the footprint for the South West. You know, other teams have done it in the past, Truro and I was there as a player, and Saltash and Liscard and Falmouth a long time ago. So it was always going to happen. I think probably the, the fact that the restructure kind of happened a bit sort of unexpectedly, has probably caused there to be a little bit more disdain than there probably would be otherwise if if, if we kind of knew it was coming with a bit more notice. But um, all I can say is, teams will will when they do come down here, they will be they will be looked after in a brilliant way. The club at Mousa are it, it, it's the friendliest club that I've ever been part of. The, the ground is is is, is immaculate. There's it, seen so much investment of late. The pitch. I'll be amazed if there's a better pitch in the league I hope I'm wrong I hope there is better ones but I'll be amazed if there isn't a better surface and other than it during the 90 minutes on the pitch where we'll give you a horrible afternoon <laughs> hopefully uh, other than that you 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 are assured a brilliant welcome and time down here and then you go back on the bus and you have a few beers with your friends and uh, you know after the year we've had a not sound too bad um, and it's only got to do it four or five times obviously we're going to be doing that nearly every other week but we aren't going to complain you will not hear that travel or anything like that comes as an excuse this year we're, we're so excited and, and really grateful to be part of it
1: well, you've got to be one of the most diplomatic managers I've had on the podcast over the years, Jake, because, I mean, this isn't, this isn't your deal to sell, is it? I mean, it was very much the FA who decided um, to go ahead with this um, restructuring at this time. And I did ask you how, how you know, how you felt about, about the travelling, because at the end of the day, you're the manager of Mao's, or you've got your players to think about as well. It's, uh, you know, it's lovely to hear... That you've obviously considered what it's going to mean for the other clubs, but what's it going to mean for you? I mean, have you had some selling to do to get your players on board with this project? No,
5: not really. I mean, obviously, being where we are again geographically, that they don't, there isn't much of an opportunity other than. You know, true at step three, there isn't another opportunity for these players to go and test themselves. And you know, you only have to see what Parkway have done, what what obviously Tavistock have done in the league, Exmouth have done, Buckland have. she so had that you know a good time as well in the past. That the strength of players down here is, is strong, and it deserves an opportunity to go and play at a higher level our players deserve a chance to go and compete at a higher level and we'll do we'll do fine next year because you know there are some really good players down here so they're excited about the challenge you know they're, they're, they're hungry young football players who want to push themselves and test themselves and better themselves so this is an opportunity for them and, and you know yes they're going to give up a lot of time to have to do it but you know, we, we only, we, the, the lifespan of a footballer is, is super short, you know, so this is an opportunity that they, they, they thought they might not get. So the, most of them, well, I say most of them, all of them um, are really excited to, to, to go and do it. Um, I think probably this being the sort of first year that's happened, is, it probably helps. I think there's that sort of sense of excitement, a sense of it being something new, you know, and, and perhaps in January when, you know, we're, we're trucking up the M 30 and M5 or M4 again, and, you know, adverse weather it, it, it will be a little bit more a little bit more tricky but at the moment they're really excited about it and we can't we can't wait to get started so um yeah just uh just fingers crossed for good weather in uh, in those middle in those winter months because uh, the tuesday nights will, will be difficult but now we're, we're ready for it i'm i'm like i say i i've i had 10 years 11 years at truro traveling sort of all over i remember getting back from uh cambridge city at 6 a.m. on a on a Wednesday morning after a Tuesday night game and popping into work at 7:30 and but we all love football you know that's why we do it so um, I'm sure we'll all survive and after the year we've had we'll just be glad to be back out there doing it.
1: Well, let's talk about your ambitions for next season. You mentioned um, Parkway. I mean, they made it very clear that they were at targeting Southern League football, um, when they joined the Western League, and they've achieved that. So, I mean, what what, what is it that you want to achieve with Mausel?
5: Yeah, I think Parkway are, are perfectly positioned, sort of geographically. Um, they They've got a huge investment um, in their club. I think the way the club is run is brilliant. I I, I speak to Lee Hobbs quite 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 regularly. Uh, I speak to him today actually, and you know they're they're, they're so ambitious, and I, I think I'm 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 really impressed with everything they do and the way they go about things. And I'm sure they'll continue to be successful. You know we're we're different. You know we, we haven't got that investment um, from um, an individual. The um, club the club are. The club are are really lucky to have an income stream from a, you know, some, some camping that is um, beside the football club. Um, and if anyone's listening to the podcast, there's a free advert there. Thanks. If anyone wanted to come down and camp, that is getting pretty full in the summer. But but that provides the club with an income stream. We're not relying on one person. Putting their hand in their pocket, which is so so much more sustainable, you know, than you know a lot of clubs and probably Truro when I was there back in the day. So, um, so we're so we're in a lucky position that we we know we can we can sustain ourselves at this level for. As long as we need to, but I am really ambitious as a person, um, and I know the chairman Derek is, 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 is as well, and, and so are the players. So I, 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 we're not going to go in and, and suggest that we're going to go and replicate what we have done. We haven't got that that sort of level of resource, but we've got a really unique um, style of play. You know, anyone that comes and watch us will really enjoy watching us play. Um, we 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 try to pass the ball and we try to um, we try to be a fat, really fast attack inside and and we are, I'm confident sort of having seen that league and and having been in it in the past that we will 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 be up the, the the top end and, and competing but it, it's going to be an adjustment you know the travel will. We'll, we'll, um, we'll take some adjusting for the players, but, but I, I'm really confident that we'll, um, we'll have enough to, to, to be in and around and, and compete near the top of the table. But I'm sure every manager feels that in, uh, in July and August and you know, when everything's rosy, so uh, we'll, have, we'll have to see how it progresses. But no, we're, 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 we're really excited by the challenge and we think you know, that the group we've got, that we'll, we'll, um, we'll be able to provide ourselves with. A, you know, if we can get off to a good start, we'll, um, we'll, be, we'll be in the right place.
1: Well you, you've sold me I'm <laughs> definitely I'm packing up the car I've got the kids And the wife We've got the tent We're coming down We're going to We're going to Camp in the campsite
5: I'm going to watch some, I'm fu- going to watch we're, in the we're, fu- t- we're fully in Sorry mate You'll have to uh, You'll have to Come down another time
1: Well I'm not I'm, I, Can I book in advance For September <laughs>
5: Yeah, I think there's a couple of a couple of spots. You're not you're not allowed in the centre circle, but yeah, there's a couple of couple of slots we can fit you in. No, it's a, it really is. It's a beautiful, really, it's a beautiful part of the of a beautiful county, you know. And is one of the most picturesque parts. It is it is tricky to get to. There is no dressing it up. It's it is it is the end of the world. I live in Truro, and even for me, it's a 45 minute drive. So you know, it's it's a long way to go. But I I can assure you. It is worth it. I promise.
1: Excellent stuff. Now, um, this is obviously the first time that we've had you on the on the podcast. So, so can you give us um, for, for for obviously a lot of the fans who aren't familiar with you, can you, you? You've mentioned your career before becoming Mousel manager, but can you give us an idea of your uh, of your journey to the Mousel dugout?
5: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I um I came down to Cornwall um to, to go to university um and got um got pulled into to, uh, to play in for Falmouth Town um in the in the old Southwestern League. Um, and we, we I I probably enjoyed uni too much so probably didn't excel as much as I should have on the football pitch but did did okay and, and um and Steve Massey which is quite a funny story really Steve Massey who's the manager at Helston who've obviously come up as well um took his Falmouth team across to Truro City um, at which point the chairman took over Kevin Heaney who invested an awful lot of money into the club. Um, and then we went on this incredible journey at Truro, um, which obviously saw us come second in the uh, southwest Southwestern League. And then we went into the Western one. Uh, which we won, and, and that was the year that we won the Vars as a Step 16, which was um, an amazing experience. just the first year at the um, at the new Wembley as well, so we, you know, were lucky enough to play in front of sort of thirty-five thousand um, for the final against AFC Totton, and then um, went into the Western Premier League and, and managed to win that one, um, and then went up from the Southern Div One. Uh, the year after, as champions, and then I think we had a year at Southern Prem. That was a real sort of um, real step up, and we had a year to settle in there, and then managed to win the, the Southern Premier League the year after. So I think we had five promotions in six years, and we found ourselves very quickly from being in the, the Cornish League to being in the Conference South, which is an amazing journey to be part of. And, and I had sort of three or four more years there with the club, so so ended up sort of doing ten or eleven years and. And during that period, got a job um, working as a football development officer in a secondary school in Cornwall. Um, So I feel really lucky, really, because while I've been playing, I've also had sort of 10 years of coaching kids in school and managing different football teams within the school and and teaching and and learning and being in an educational environment where you get to kind of learn how to deal with different people and and different styles and what have you. So, um, so yeah, so then... um, Two summers ago, uh, I got a phone call from someone at the football club saying they were looking for some sort of consultancy work on around their sort of youth academy, and that very quickly snowballed into into becoming the, the first team manager. And, and I absolutely love it. It's I enjoy it as much as I enjoy playing, if I'm honest. And I know a lot of managers don't feel the same. They kind of see it as a as a second best, having sort of stopped playing. But I, I, I absolutely love it. I love the process. I love. The planning, I love the the day to day of it, you know, I just I just I just think it's brilliant. Um and yeah, so I've had two seasons, um, both of which have been <laughs> curtailed and null and void. Um so my, my wife did point out to me the other day that I'm probably the first manager to ever have achieved a promotion or an upward movement without actually ever winning a football match um (laughs) but which is lovely of her um so um so fingers crossed i'm next year will actually probably hopefully touch word be my first full season um in charge but i feel like i've had a good grounding in the school environment um but yeah no i i I absolutely love it the football club um are, are very unique down here in the way they run we've we've had um Two or three full-time players in the past who who um, who, who coach um, in the academy down at the club and, and coach at the local college um, and just train on a full time basis we had three of those boys last year and that obviously helps us with our raises the standard of everything that we do our training and our, and our, and our team um, and the club invests in all the infrastructure around it so you know the boys are all gps and, and where um, we, we track their, we track their um, statistics and we have a video analyst and we have a straight conditioning coach who works for Worcester Warriors in the rugby premiership who, who, who creates all the performance and conditioning programmes for our players. So there's a real sort of professional feel to it and and that really kind of appealed to me. And um, yeah, as a result, it's a brilliant environment to work with and the people at the club are just so, so friendly. Uh, It's a real family feel to it. People have been there 30, 40 years. So it's an amazing journey. There's a real excitement about coming into the Western League down there because they've seen that Real depths of you know sort of Cornish football. So to see them at this you know this high level and welcome all these you know these big clubs from from in and around Bristol is is super exciting. So um, yeah, you'll, you'll definitely be in for a, a warm welcome, and um, we're really excited about the challenge.
1: Jake, thank you very much for your time. Your career has been a, a, fan, a, a, a very interesting journey. You're, you're about to have many more very interesting journeys over the coming season, but it's lovely to, uh, to get the chance to speak to you, and I look forward to speaking to you again on, uh, on next season's Western League podcast.
5: No, I really look forward to it, and, and like I say, I'm really, really, uh, really pleased to be part of the Western League and, and make friends, and, and, and I'm sure by the end of the year, people will still go, blimmin' mean, out. it's a long way, but they are a lovely bunch, so, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's the plan.
1: And my thanks to Jake for his time. Now, during that interview, of course, Jake um, told us about the wonderful camping facilities at Mowsall, Now, I've often said to you, Jim, that I really do think that now that you know, the league has expanded, we need to be taking a few road trips. Um, and seeing some of these new grounds. And I'm I'm quite sure that Mrs Knockholds will be every, every bit as pleased as Mrs Healy will be to join us on these, what will become a family outing. What do you think, Jim?
2: Couldn't agree more. She's i got to be careful because she may be listening in the other room. But if I say we could have a weekend down Helston or Mousel, we could borrow my mum and dad's camper van and have a weekend away, I'm sure she'd be well up for it. But I don't think I'll slip into the conversation that we'll be going to a game of football on the Saturday afternoon. In fact, I can see her walking into the room now.
1: Oh dear! Yeah, but she's best, best.
2: just popped the red round and just sh- shaking her head, and then walking back, walk back out. So, I think uh, we may have been rumbled, there, in. <laughs> she doesn't want to come on holiday with my lovely family. I'm sure she does, but not the football. She said we well, can go, right. but not for the football.
1: She, her, and my wife can take the children, and you and I <laughs> will have a jolly time at the football. <laughs> anyway, yeah, they
2: go for an ice cream somewhere, and we're going to watch the football. Right? Before you get divorced, um.
1: Do you want to take us through the Twitter roundup?
2: <laughs> Do you know any good solicitors?
1: Uh, I don't, only, only expensive <laughs> ones. Uh, aren't they all? Uh, <laughs>
2: any, anyway, yeah, Twitter roundup. I've picked a few out from this week. There's uh, a lot going on, actually. Uh, a funny one was the new boys, uh, AEK Bocco, retweeted a picture of their manager stood next to Raheem Sterling saying that he's already started his uh, recruitment drive for their time in the Western League. Um, <laughs> Not bad signing, that would be. As usual, after a Bridgewater game, Debbie Gould always tweets her photos out, so it's well worth having a look at her photo gallery. Um, always, uh, always really good quality that Debbie produces, and it was nice to see her down at the uh, at the game the other day. Exmouth have shown off their ground upgrades again. They've got a new car park bits with disabled parking, and they put up a video of how their pitch was looking, uh, looking very green and nice and I'm sure they can't wait for a bit of action on there uh, clubs are tweeting their pre-season games and fixtures and again push our bit onto to the uh, on our website on the league website so if any clubs if we missed them then please do get in touch with us and we can help you publicise them on our fixtures page Corsham Town uh, tweeted the uh, we're in the top 10 of the non-league programmes which, uh, which was nice to see I think Stockport uh, were number one and obviously they've got a bit of money behind them and uh, yeah, caution course we're in the top 10 so it's great to see a Torch yeah. Station uh, League club uh, in that top 10 so congratulations to them uh, and finally Shepton Mallet uh, I think they did it last year or the season before where you can sponsor a seat for £20 get your name put on that seat in the main stand and then once you buy that for £20 you get an entry uh, into a draw uh, for your name or to name their main stand for the next season um i know last time they sold out at that so it's a good uh, good earner for them and another good initiative
5: if you're thinking toolstation i know they'll save me money but do they have all the top brands you know dewalt makita einhell stanley myra kudox nest and santex yeah They do. Over 15,000 trade quality products in the range from the leading brands with prices that are hard to beat. If you want a helping hand to save on your next job,
6: try Toolstation. With over 300 branches, there's always a Toolstation near you.
1: Uh, Well, we're all for um, borrowing good ideas um, from clubs. And one club that's had more good ideas than most is Plymouth Parkway. Now, they, of course, are leaving us to go up to the Southern League. And um, we've heard many times on the podcast from Lee Hobson manager and, of course, Mike Parrish, um, the media manager. But I thought it would be great to... Uh, have a chat with Mark Russell, the chairman at Plymouth Parkway and really I wanted to congratulate Mark on that promotion I know that that's really what that football club has been all about, they've been all about getting to the Southern League and they've done it now so really I'm very pleased for them and I, I started off by asking him what that meant to Plymouth Parkway as a club
6: Yeah, football club. Um, It's something that we've been sort of aspiring to um, for the last five years. Uh, Five years ago when I came in as chairman at Plymouth Parkway, we came in with the, the board came out with the sort of ambition that we'd like to make it to the Southern League within five years. So um, that was obviously the the ambition of the club and to achieve that was um, obviously delighted. You know, we're all delighted with that.
1: Uh, when this season was curtailed, uh, and of course last season voided, I mean, were you beginning to wonder whether you'd ever get the chance to play Southern League football?
6: Yeah, I mean, you know, if we look at the first season, we were in the Southern League, we finished second with, I believe, record number of points. Um, then we had the following season where it was curtailed, where we would likely would be we would have continued to have have pushed for promotion. And then obviously last season, you know, we were sort of, you know, flying in the league, um, looking at, you know, looking like we would have gone on to, uh, you know, getting promotion again. So you start thinking, is everything against us? But, you know, we we sort of cling on to the hope that the the sort of restructure would happen. Um, And obviously, we were delighted when we got the notification from the FA to say that, yes, we were going to get promoted to the Southern League.
1: I mean, what would it have meant to the club to have had to go again? You know, if you'd have had another season in the Western League, I mean, surely that would have taken its toll on some of your players and potentially even your manager.
6: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've, we, we've, we've sort of put together a very strong squad for what we believe is, you know, strong enough to take us to the Southern League for the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, sort of, we've got a lot of players who, you know, want to want to achieve that with Plymouth Parkway and sort of progress with Plymouth Parkway. But if you keep sort of every year not quite making it for various reasons, then you know, those players start to sort of... You know, look and say, is it ever going to happen with Plymouth Parkway? And, and then you know, other clubs start looking at your players, and you know, you you're then struggle in to try to retain the same players and potentially retain the manager as well. Um, you know, we've got you know very ambitious manager, very ambitious players, as well as the club. Um, so you know, it would have been, it, it would have made it a lot more difficult for us. Um, to have done another season in the Western League, we'd have had to have sort of tried to sell the we are going to do it at some point <laughs> dream to those players.
1: I mean, I think it's important to pay tribute, actually, to Lee Hobbs, your manager, because, I mean, you, as you mentioned, you'd gone close when you came second. You, you know, You were right in the mix, but, of course, you weren't at the top of the table in the season that was voided. You weren't even on top of the table on points per game. Lee obviously took nothing, took no chances in, in making sure you got as many wins as possible in the season that we've just had. But, you know, I, I, plenty of us found ourselves thinking, well, you know, is this ever really going to finish? It, it wasn't much of a surprise when it was curtailed. And frankly, I mean, I, I don't know about you, um, Mark, but, you know, I've given up trying to second guess the FA. I mean, the idea that they would they would go back to a combined points per game season, I never saw that coming But if Lee hadn't have managed so many wins in that run in the last season that we've had, then even your points-per-game finish may have been in jeopardy. So, I mean, it was a a Herculean effort on all fronts, wasn't it?
6: Yeah, I mean, the the previous season, that was null and void. We we were top on points-per-game. We had uh, Tavistock with two points above us, but we had uh, two games in hand. So, uh, on a points-per-game basis, we would have been top that, that season as well. Um. Then last season, obviously, you know, we were far ahead of anybody on points-per-game basis. Um, Over the two seasons, we were also then far ahead of... I believe we actually had the highest points-per-game in the country um, for a a combined two seasons. So, yeah, I mean, it was a... You know, we needed to make sure that we kept going. Um, As you say, you you can't really second-guess what the FA are going to do. I think, you know... (laughs) All along, from the minute the first season looked in jeopardy, we were—you know—I was sort of saying, "Why don't we just pause this season um, and continue it over a two-year period?" Because you know that would have, to me, made a lot more sense, um, and we'd have actually finished a complete season. And uh, so, it, it came as a bit of a surprise when it got. You know, sort of null and void a first season um and then you know knowing that oh, there was a the likelihood that there was going to be further you know lockdown restrictions um coming with the, the winter all the signs were that we were going to have another lockdown in that following season so um i was i was quite surprised when it didn't just get sort of pulled. um and and look at a two season I appreciate that you know um, that doesn't always work and that there's loads of logistical things to that as well so I can sort of see that there's other reasons for that but we needed to make sure that we kept strong Um, we believed in you know what we were doing Um, and and Lee's done you know an amazing job since he's come to the football club you know he's joined the football club when we were sort of looking at very ambitious trying to get out of the South West Peninsula League we went on to that league um, and you know won the title quite convincingly Um, and every season we've had something put in our way but we've kept believing that we'll get there and and that's you know the, the, the reward for Lee is obviously you know um, he, he is now under contract with the football club, which is the first time that Plymouth Parkway have ever had a manager actually on contract. Um, so, you know, it's a big step for the football club going into the Southern League as well.
1: So you mentioned that your ambition when you became chairman was to get Southern League football. You've got you've got that. So how much higher do you want to take Plymouth Parkway? <laughs> oh,
6: that's, a, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I think, you know, we're, we need to sort of stable ourselves in the, the the southern division one um you know we, we, we're looking forward to next season you know we've had to, to sort of manage everybody's expectations because we've had you know four four years now of you know, pretty much winning most weeks. You know, we've lost a handful of games in that period in the league. Um, so, you know, it's been, we're now going into a league where we know it's going to be a lot more competitive. We know that there's a lot of good teams in that league. So we've got to sort of manage the expectations that, you know, we're not going to go out and, and win games convincingly. We're going to have to battle. We're going to have to, you know, take it on the chin some weeks that we will lose games. Um, but, you know, the, the ambition of the club would be to try, to get into the Southern Prem, um, I think past that point we'd we would really struggle just because of the the sort of size of our ground in enabling us to sort of develop it much further. Um, which is, you know, if we could get ourselves to being a, you know, a stable Southern Premier League team in, in the next sort of five years, I think that would be a very good achievement for the city as well as the football club.
1: Now, it's very easy for managers and fans to become jealous of success, which I think is a terrible shame because we miss the chance to learn the lessons from other people's success. So if you look back over your time in the Western League, what do you think your key elements to success were? For those chairmen listening to our, um, our interview today, what, what are your words of wisdom? I think it's, uh, you know, you've got to look at what's happening off the pitch
6: um you know my focus isn't what's happening on the pitch that's lee's job um you know lee's got to get the results on the pitch um my job is to sort of look at off the pitch and how can we become more stable football club so you yeah, know one of the things that we've we've sort of done sponsorship deals with with local businesses we've spent a lot of time sort of working with sponsors to try to get sponsors on board you know we we one of the things we did when, we first, when I first came into the club was we sat down as a board and said, right, we need to build this club out, um, which obviously has had an effect with COVID as well, but we've got a facility there that we don't just make money on match days. Um, so and I think that's key to sort of like the, 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 the sort of performance of the football club is to, to, to make sure that you've got a stability behind it. Um, you're right. There's, you know, there's a lot of people who are jealous of what we've achieved, um, but you know, it, we've we've done it on a very sustainable basis, which is, you know, credit to everybody at the football club that we've managed to sort of progress as we have, um, you know, without large investment from, you know, any individuals, um, and do it with, you know, sponsors that actually see the value. You know, we've we, we've we've had the same. You know, um, hit sponsors for the last four years. They're, they're delighted with the exposure that they get. Um, you know, working with the local media to make sure that you're getting the exposure. And I think because of the, the sort of success we've had on social media as well, obviously helps because people see the, the sort of social media exposure that we get um, and also the social media that you know, we, we do ourselves. Um, you know, that gives us more and more credibility as a football club.
1: You're a you people club as well, aren't you? I mean, I, I you know I think a lot of us actually came to appreciate what what you were about as a football club when we saw Mike Parrish's documentary, um, which I thought was excellent. Of course, we've talked about it many times on the podcast, and that got us into that got us under your skin. But I know that you, as a chairman, you welcome fans into your ground personally, don't you? Yeah, and I think that's a key
6: thing. You know, it's, it's something that I've. Yeah, one of the things that i felt when when i joined the football club was that we needed to be more engaged like, you know as a board we needed to be more engaged with the supporters and every supporter so you know one of the obviously my background is you know i'm a media person so you know i i'm not afraid of meeting people talking to people etc and it's, yeah so I, I made a point of getting to know everybody you know meet welcoming people into the ground you know Take it, taking the time out to talk to the people and actually listen to what their feedback is. Now, you know, that's all great. When you've been on a success, successful run for five years where everybody's singing your praises and it's all great, the testing times will come when we start losing games. You know, that's when it's really testing for, you know, football clubs as a whole. Is, is it, it's yeah It's not easy, but it's easier when you're winning every week because everybody's behind you. When you start losing a few games, that's when things start getting challenging and people start asking questions about how, you know, what are we going to do to turn this around? And I think that's, you know, that's where if you've built that relationship with the supporters, the supporters feel comfortable to come and talk to you and you can take on board some of their their feedback. And and we've had loads of feedback from supporters. You know, as much of that as we can, we'll put into place um, some things we just can't do. Um, but we've we've worked very hard to try to sort of make it, you know, really good for supporters, good experience on a match day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the facilities are obviously, you know, one of the key things of, of making the experience good for, for supporters on a match day as well.
1: Now, the, the Western League Premier Division is going to look a bit different to the one that you left. Um, what do you think the influx of clubs from Devon and, of course, Cornwall will mean for the future of the Western League?
6: To be honest, I think when we went into the Western League, it was a bit of a shock. People having to travel down, obviously, it was Buckland. They were, Buckland were in the league, but, you know, travelling down to Plymouth, I think people got a bit shocked. Um, and, you know, I think there'll be clubs that aren't particularly pleased that there's um, a lot more clubs in Devon and Cornwall, but I think for, yeah, it is the Western League, so therefore we should have clubs from Devon and Cornwall in, you know, a number of clubs in that league which I think next season will be good I think it's now spreading it from yeah the Western League become a little bit of a Bristol League um whereas actually it didn't really cover the Western League it covered Bristol and a couple of clubs outside of it whereas now it is, it feels like it's a real Western League um yeah which is good you know, I think it will be good I think it will be a really competitive league next season um I think there's, you know, there, there, there's going to be three or four of the teams that are in the league already that are going to be very strong again, and then you've got some, some strong clubs going into that league as well. So I think it'll be a, you know, I don't think you're going to find sort of two or three clubs running away with the league. I think it will be a much tighter league going forward.
1: Well, I'm glad you talked about how competitive it's going to be because I was going to ask you which clubs do you expect to be joining you in the Southern League over the coming seasons.
6: Um, I think obviously Townstock would be very very keen to sort of progress I think that, that you know obviously themselves were disappointed that they didn't make it this season um, and you know we obviously wish them all the best for next season um, but I think there's going to be you know you've got the likes of Bridgewater I think would be very strong next season um, you know Tavi will be strong I think you've also got teams coming out from the, the South West Peninsula League and the likes of Saltash that I think will be competitive um, Helston, you know, can always be a, a, a tough team. Um, so there's, you know, and then you've got the ones that are still remaining in the Western League from, from last season that were competing. The likes of Bitter, not Sleep Bitter, and signed um, four players, I believe, from Plymouth. Um, you know the players that have played either for Parkway or against Parkway, and uh, over a regular period of time. So, yeah, I think they'll be, um, you know, a competitive team again. So, I think that you know, there's there's going to be a number of teams that will be pushing to to try to join us in the Southern League.
1: Mark, thank you very much for your time. You were with us for a good time, not a long time, but it was uh, it was brilliant to have you. And really, all the best um, going forward with with both yourself and the football club.
6: Thank you very much. I'd like to say a massive thank you to everybody in the West League as well, and, and all the clubs. It's been a, a really enjoyable three years in, in that league, um, and met some really really good people along the way as well.
1: And my thanks to Mark for his time. Now, Parkway uh, will be missed, not least because of their extraordinary social media content. I mean, Mike Parish has done a, a fantastic job, and it sort of it really does. Set, it sets the benchmark, doesn't it? It sets an example of what can be achieved um, for social media managers, even covering you know steps five and six of the
2: pyramid. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was talking to Debbie actually at Street on Saturday about uh, clubs' outputs and how Bridgewater's as they've upped their game at the end of this season and up to now. Uh, we were talking about other clubs as well. They they can see that what can actually be done by volunteers. Uh, If you get the right people on board, the people are itching to get involved with football. It's just trying to find those people or reaching out to those people. And, yeah, the content that Bridgewater have been producing, uh, Plymouth Parkway, the the normal ones. But you look at others now and you think, yeah, the game's really up and it's it's looking good for us in our league, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting to see what the new clubs are going to bring. And I know that... um... Um, obviously, the the you know the Les Phillips Cup games have, have sort of given us a flavour, haven't they? With um, with Mark Huckle from Pyron Films, I mean they've been quite an entertaining um, watch, haven't they as well?
2: They have, yeah. Thirty minutes they did. I think they've done three pilot episodes, they've called them, of, of away games, and there's a lot of dedication got into doing them because they've travelled up from Helston for the three games, filming all the way. Then obviously Mark's had to edit all the footage. I mean I saw them on both of them on Saturday. Walking round and endlessly interviewing people, and he was filming pretty much the whole game, so I tried to think how many hours of footage he, he had yeah. to to sit and edit so it's a, it's a time consuming job, but it, they've done a good, good job on it, and it's, uh, it's good publicity for for themselves and obviously for the league as well
1: absolutely, and I mean we those are the ones we know about I mean you know clubs um, you know in the close season may well be sort of looking um, to take on some talent in that respect so we you know next season we we remains to be seen but you know it could be really exciting couldn't it to uh, to see what more and um, what you know what new individuals turn up and what more content we we get Uh, now one club who uh, won't be with us next season although they were featured on the podcast because of their uh, social media content uh, is Carn Town and uh, Ben Redford has been a huge supporter of the podcast almost from the very beginning um, when we've been doing this Uh, loves coming on the podcast we love having him he's a very popular manager um, amongst the other managers in the uh, in the Western League particularly the First Division it's been a Difficult time for all of us, of course, over the last couple of seasons. But, you know, I know that Ben has really felt it because they were going for the um, First Division title in the season that was voided, you know, and, and uh, you know, they were absolutely not going to hand over their, you know, their, their dominance in Wiltshire to Corsham, even though Kieran Baggs' side, of course, started so emphatically. You know, they can got off to another fantastic start to this season. So, um, although they've got no trophy, to show for it. I mean, they are the points-per-game champions in the First Division, and, and rightly so, and I, that's where I started my um, interview with Ben, by congratulating him on that promotion.
7: Well, thanks. Yeah, um, obviously, it's been a long two years waiting for things to, you know, be be confirmed, waiting if it's ever going to happen. Like you said, over the two years, I do think that we, more than deserve it. the lads... The ones who have played for us for just the one one of the two seasons, or for both seasons, yeah, everyone serves it together as a whole, as in in the committee and all the management and all the players all serve it together.
1: I mean, from our conversations, I know there were times when you genuinely didn't think this was going to happen, did you?
7: Yeah, especially after the first year. Um, obviously, the long wait to find out what the FA were going to do, and yeah, it was sort of. It a bit of a kick in the teeth, the way it ended, you know, so close to winning the league. And then the next year finally started, we got off to a good start again, winning all but one of our games. And we were looking good, which took, took a lot really from us to bounce back the way we did. If I said that we thought it was going to happen, that'd be a lie.
1: Now, Ben, I know that this has been a difficult twelve months for you um, personally. I mean, the disappointment that um, you—you know—I know you felt at that voided season. I mean, was it so bad that you ever considered walking away from the game? Yeah, I'm not going to lie, I did. Um, I think I said to you last year
7: it was something hard to get the motivation for, and the all the COVID restrictions and all. The uncertainty, the stop and start, it was, it was really hard for myself and mm. I think I speak on behalf of the other management and, you know, especially the players, just the stop start, the, the difference in turning up to games and not being able to get change inside, and all different things like that. It was just really hard sometimes to get back for it, But, I, yeah, I think, I think we've done well enough to to get ourselves up for the games and, yeah, I think the results showed that in the end.
1: Because it's not just about um, obviously, we, you know, I'm talking about you know how you're feeling, but um, we've got players, we've got supporters, we've got club volunteers. It's been a difficult time for everybody, isn't it? I mean, are you worried that people will be lost to non-league football because of because of what we've been through?
7: Well, yeah, football aside, I mean, it's been a struggle for everyone. A lot of people I know, a lot of people I've to chance being through tough times, and then a lot of those people I do know, have struggled football is that one thing which. You know, it keeps them going. And when there is no football, when it when stop, start, when there's all the uncertainty, when you know you don't know if it's going to be the same again, That that's a massive kick in the teeth for everyone as well. Yeah, it's just been such a difficult year and a bit for everyone, but hopefully now we can start to look forward and non-league can get back to where it was.
1: Well, when non-league does get back to where it was, you won't be part of the Toolstation Western League. How do you feel about that?
7: I'll be honest, it's a shame that we're leaving the Western League. Um, Sabina here as yeah, joint manager of Clown now and it's all I've ever known whilst I've been at Clown I don't know much at all about any other leagues I don't know a lot at all about the league we're going into the Hellenic we always wanted to remain a Western League club that was, that was from the committee to the management I mean the players might have a different view in terms of the travelling but we always felt we were a Western League club we always aimed to get in the Premier Division And the fact that we've had the sideways move totally out of our hands so there's nothing we can do about it. We've got the you know, forward thinking now and
1: count for that. I mean, for many of us in the Western League, we're excited about what next season's going to bring in terms of how competitive the Premier Division is going to be. How do you think you'd have got on, take, you know, <laughs> taking on some of these, these big Cornish clubs and we've got, you know, Bridgewater, we've got Bitten, we've got some real you know, real big boys in the, uh, in the Premier Division. How do you think you'd have got on? Uh, I think we'd have
7: relished the challenge. Not sure how we would have got on, I mean... First and foremost, staying in the division would have been the main main target, well, the first target. Can't tell you a lot about the corner sides or the ones who come up from the peninsula League. But, I mean, if you look at Tavistock and Plymouth Parkway, if the rest follow that way, then the league's is going to get stronger and stronger when the teams run down south. Come into it, so yeah, I just think that league looks really strong.
1: I mean, thinking about the league that you do know, of course, you know very well the tall Station from Western League First Division. I mean, which teams do you expect to go well next season?
7: I have to say, looking at it now, I say Warminster, I expect them to be up there. I expect Wincanton. I think Wincanton have been one of the ones who have underachieved. Last year, not achieve the such but they're a good discipline side. they've got a good team got good players good manager they're, yeah I'd say them are the warmster and then obviously you have still got the likes of Wells and we're doing well last year so any of those four I'd say so i expect to go at the
1: top and, and of course a resurgent devises town but I won't push you on yeah, that
7: yeah I forgot to mention
1: them yeah, <laughs> yeah I thought you might um, I mean the Hellenic League is rapidly becoming the Wiltshire League isn't it how, how do you feel about the games with Westbury Bradford Corsham and Royal Wooten Bassett next season.
7: There's a lot of local games, there's four Wiltshire derbies, there's um, a couple of teams around the Swindon area so it's logistically, travel wise, it suits us better. It's, you know, it's a very local league, a lot of the games are local, that's good, that'll be good for our attendances. Um, There'll be a lot of player changes between the clubs which isn't always good for us but yeah, I'm looking forward to all the local derbies and all the new different grounds that we're going to go to.
1: And I suppose one final question for you, Ben. I mean, how far do you think you can take this Khan side? I mean, do you think you've found your level or are you ambitious to go higher?
7: I'm always ambitious. I, yeah, I love winning. Yeah, anyone to tell you that who knows me. I, I'd love to, you know, take this club further and further, as would Trev, as would all the players and all the other management. But being realistic, we don't know because we don't, we don't know a lot about the league. This level, this is new to me. This will be new to a lot of the players. Yeah, so sure, I think it's it's the case of finding our feet in the first season, going from there. But, yeah, well, of course, we'd love to progress through the leagues. But we are, you know, keeping two feet on the ground and staying realistic to begin with, that's for sure.
1: Now, on the podcast, we have a, 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 a very glorious old boys' network. Um, we, we've had the likes of Richard Fay come back, Danny Greaves... Come back as well, and uh, I really hope Ben that you you you'll be one of those because um, I've really enjoyed our interviews over the years. Um, you know, you've brought a lot of success to Carntown Football Club, which I know is a wonderful football club. Uh, you should be incredibly proud of what you've achieved, and uh, I really hope um, that you keep uh, you keep an, at least one eye on the on the Tool Station Westernly because we'll be keeping both eyes on you.
7: Yeah, absolutely, I go to that saying, and know yeah, appreciate. Appreciate all you've done for the league and all the times we have come on the podcast. So obviously, as you know, as a regular listener, i yeah, still, still tune in and definitely keep um, tabs with all the results and everything. So, yeah, appreciate that, yeah.
1: And my thanks to Ben for his time. Now then. One final interview for you on this week's podcast, and it's, um, it's my own personal favourite. I, um, uh, I, you know, I do talk about being a, um, a Devizes fan. Of course, I moved to Devizes a couple of uh, years ago um, when, um, when Melksham were promoted into the Southern League. That obviously required me uh, to sell my house and move to another Western League area. If Wiltshire does leave the Western League, then obviously I'm going to have to have a difficult conversation with my wife and we're going to have to move again. Right, I thought that, you know, it. it's not been an easy time, I think it would be fair to say, to be, a, to be a Devizes fan. And I think anybody who's listened to me, and I know James has had to put up with this, and, and of course Tom as well. Um, uh, yeah, I've been a bit, I've, it's been a bit frustrating, and there hasn't been a great deal of, of success for a while. Um, but um, there was a shake-up at the club, and uh, Stuart Swan became manager, and he's got a management team with him, which includes um, Dan Sloan and um, I, they both agreed after a huge amount of arm-twisting um, to do an interview with me. We've never actually had two managers on at the same time before, so this is something of a first for the podcast, and what, what better team, what better club to do it with than Devizes Town? So I started off by asking Stuart. It's not been um, uh, the best of years for any of us, but it couldn't really have been that much worse um, for Devizes.
4: Well, yeah, obviously... Uh... The last uh, eighteen months, two years at at the club, from a on-pitch perspective, hasn't been great at all. Um, Lots of uh, player changes and management changes, and the the only thing to say really is we're looking forward now, not backwards.
1: I mean, when I say from a fan's perspective, you know, for all of the time I've known you, that's exactly what you've been, isn't it? I mean, you you know, obviously you're you're closely linked um, with the club. Um, because of your own playing career and, 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 and your son's. But, um, I mean, you have been looking at this from the fans' perspective for much of that time.
4: Yeah, obviously. And um, I think that's where the frustration sort of uh, finally hit and then wanted to get involved, really. Um, I just felt that, you know, I spoke to... Well, originally, me and Dan spoke, well, I suppose, a year ago now. And both of us, yeah, like I say, frustrated with it all. And we just felt that we could impact it better than what it was uh, currently being done.
1: I mean Dan obviously you you've been a player um um not not that you know I know you hung up the boots um um not that long ago so I mean you're looking at it you know from that perspective you know this is obviously a club that you've you know you played for throughout your uh, your career you started off at and you know you, you finished at and I mean you know how, how how have you felt about the way things have been going over the last um couple of years
8: Well when I stopped playing um you know the club playing wise was in a really good way I think we just finished fourth in the league um had a really good end to the season Stuart's son Matt was just coming into the team and then I left and I thought you know they'd probably go on to maybe sort of do almost what Count have done over the past few years and you know be up there challenging with a few extra additions but it just didn't happen for one reason or another we then got saved by COVID the first time round, and I sort of we spoke to Trippy last year and the chairman and Stu and Luke Enderby was playing sort of slash coach. Um, I decided that, oh, you know, it's spare time on my hands, I'll get involved. Never did I think it would sort of end up. I think we've had a handful of games in 18 months. <laughs> but um, it's looking good now. It's looking really good, I'd say. Looking forward to the season, probably longer than I have in a long time for devices.
1: Well, I'm certainly looking forward to the, to the new season. It would be nice to actually see a, a, a victory. I, I can't remember the last time that I saw one of those, but um, <laughs> I, I'm going to come back to you, Stuart, now, because um, you, you've actually... Am I right? I think you've only had one game in charge. Is that right?
4: Yeah, that's correct. Um, the game away at Caution just before Christmas. I think, it, you know, obviously, we, just, we got beaten at the end, last-minute goal by Mr Higden. But I think it brought a lot of positivity to the club. Um, from inside and outside looking in as well. There was fight within the players that were there. And, you know, with some additions, we can uh, improve on that again.
1: Dan, it was the footballing equivalent of the film 300, wasn't it? I mean, we went to (laughs) Caution, you know, and, uh, you know, the Galacticos of Caution. You know, when I saw... The side that Kieran Bags had, um, had put together at the beginning of the season, you know, I, I thought they were going to win the Vars, let alone the first division. I mean, you know, some real, um, real superstars uh, at our level in that side. And so we went there off the back of, you know, no, no form at all. Um, but, I mean, we were seconds away, weren't we, from what was what would have been an incredible victory. So, I mean, yeah, you know, it's one of those weird ones where, I mean, I got very excited and emotional about the whole thing on the podcast because, actually, I, I can't remember a game that I enjoyed as much, but, actually, it was the nature of the performance. It was the fact that, all right, we got beaten at the end, but, actually, for, for, you know, they didn't know what hit them, did they, on that occasion?
8: No, I was talking to Kieran in the build-up to the game, and he kept telling me we had a bit of a chance. And I thought he was just, you know, just sort of leading us into a self-sense security. We got to the game and then we had an injury in the warm-up as well to our left back. So we had to bring in, you know, our second string left back and um, the lads went out there and they were superb. Since we were lucky, they took their chances and we, you know, all over the pitch, probably the best performance I'd seen by everyone that day. And it just came together sort of, and I know people say it, but it was, we'd seen it in spells and we knew the players could do it. We just weren't doing it all together for one reason or another. And you sort of, you know, people probably look at it saying our divisor's lost again, but you know, we've had one game in charge, went to league leaders, scored three. And that's where I usually leave it. And we kept us from relegation. That's how I tell it to people anyway but it just summed up everything, you know, the way we lost, it summed up everything that had gone on that season, there are a few times where we'd been leading at home through away, leading away or we just fell apart in the second half you know, we probably knew in the back of our minds that was going to be one of the last games anyway um, but it was just nice to see, like you said, a bit of spirit and I've never felt that emotional on a game the ups and downs you know after playing for so many years i didn't think it would be possible to feel even more frustrated even more highs and lows than what you do when you're standing on the edge of the pitch that's for sure i felt more excited when that third goal went in than i have for any yeah. goal that i've ever scored <laughs> but it wasn't to be it wasn't that- strikes again Yes,
1: I know, Sir Gary Higdon. Um, now, Stuart, I mean, one of the highlights from that match was a, 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 a delicious free kick um, that was scored by our captain on the day. I mean, that was... Uh, I noticed that made its way into the highlights reel from um, from Corsham's own in-house um, uh, media team. I mean, that wasn't a bad goal, was it?
4: No, no. Um, I know mark has been practising them quite a bit through the season and... Uh... Been unlucky unlucky on occasions hitting the bar, uh, I think twice where at Hengrove in what was a nil-nil draw, I believe, on the night. So it was nice for him to actually bag that one on the day. Some would question the goalkeeping on it, but I was, with, yeah, if you look again, I think he's done him with his uh, body shape on that. Um, but yeah, it sort of sent us uh, a little bit wild, including yourself, having <laughs> watched the video back and hearing uh, the screeches. Um, but yeah, it was... Uh, it was a uh, it was a special goal. It was just a pity we couldn't hold on at the end. That was all.
1: And actually, Dan, it turned out to be a really pivotal match in the well, I suppose the future of the of the Western League First Division, didn't it? Because had Caution dropped any points against Devizes, they wouldn't have gone up on the combined points per game uh, ratio.
4: That's
8: what I mean. It seems like the league's chucked anyone up there. Any, I mean, they've let Cowan go up. So, there was, they were never going to let Caution go up, were they? But <laughs> I think, um, yeah, at the time, you know, it was huge. It was, and as the league leaders, you know, everyone wanted to play Caution. Everyone raised their games with Caution. They didn't have any easy games, I don't think. And, you know, it just proves how tough everyone says that all the players they've got and they should be up there. But I think Man City proved at the weekend it's not that easy to win when you've got all the best players and you know, the best sort of team behind you. It is hard, but they did it every week last season. And, um, you know, they deserve, I think, definitely. They were the best side we played. I think it was them in Welton I was mostly impressed with, the two top teams.
1: Now, Stuart, I mean, Devizes and Warminster are the only sides left um, from Wiltshire, of course, in the Western League. And if uh, anybody gets promoted, it now means that they'd be, they'd be moved out. I mean, how are you feeling about... Uh, the, the the geography of the uh, of the Western League at the moment.
4: It's a shame that we're the only two Wilshire clubs left in our league, on, and you know, seeing Cowan uh, caution, um, obviously Bradford and Westbury from the league above anyway, all all moving sideways um, or up is disappointing. I don't think the First Division the geography changes too much for us. Obviously, we don't have those local derbies. It is only Warmster and the that becomes an even bigger game now, I suppose. But mileage for us isn't too bad as long as we uh, <laughs> don't get a Tuesday night in uh, Cornwall on in the, layers of the Olympics, I suppose.
1: <laughs> well, I'm sure it will be. I'm sure we'll have a jolly time if we do. I mean, Dan. <laughs> I mean, you know, in your playing days, um, have you have you always been in in the in the Western League as it as it is now?
8: Um. Yeah, there's always been lots of local derbies. You know. When I first started playing, it was Melksham was our big one. It was always, you know, the Boxing Day, the Easter uh, weekend. It was always Visors melksham And that was always the game that we sort of looked for straight away. You know, it's a shame, but they've obviously gone up, all of them. And maybe it is the best way if they're going to want to compete and go up again without doing the travelling in the expense that it is to be in the Premier League and travel down to Cornwall in Devon you know every other week that might be the way forward um and then you know if we do as well as we hope to and we go in there you know, there will be lots of local derbies again yeah you know, as long as we pull our finger out it should all be fine next season <laughs>
1: <laughs> um and <laughs> Stuart I mean in your playing career have you always been a have you always played in the uh, in the Western League
4: yeah yeah always Western League um i remember debut um against one of the newly promoted clubs Ilfracoon, actually um in the early 90s so you know that was it was a nice trip but we used to do that on a double header so we used to have uh, Ilfracoon and mineette tend to be the across the same weekend and Saturday you always tended to be a decent result but the Sunday wasn't quite so good for <laughs> obvious reasons
1: I mean I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your um your playing um you know that're playing memories uh, in the western league I mean I mean Dan um, I mean what, what were your sort of career um, highs
8: it wasn't Biddeford away on the way back I remember being sick uh, you know quite a few times on the way back that, that's for sure um, <laughs> is, that, is that because drink had been taken <laughs> definitely um, no when, I mean we won trophies when I played for Pusey we won two trophies that was you know winning when you play youth football you're winning all the time and this is what I need to sort of try to tell the new under-18s that are coming up. You're so used to winning. When you come to men's football, there's not a lot to win. You know, it's not... There's so many of you and there's so many good sides. You need to get used to not winning, which is a hard thing to tell and learn from any 18-year-old. Divisive, um, the last season that I played, you know, we had a really good run and the team was, was great. Um, I really enjoyed that that season just a shame i couldn't go on a little bit more <laughs> but um yeah you know the people that you meet i know it's a bit sort of cliche but every club every well-run club every successful club when you look they are run well from top to bottom from you know behind the scenes the management there's always a team you know from the physio to the people the kit man all of them that have won probably in the last four or five years, they've got all of that, so that's what we're trying to build now at Devizes, you know, Ollie and Dave had come on board with us this season to join the management team to make sure that no stone is really left unturned when we're, and we've got no excuse for the end of it, to say, oh, why have Devizes done this again, hopefully, you know at the end of the season we'll be seeing some positives and i will be how great Devizes have done this season so, you know, we want to make sure that we can copy from other teams that have done really well.
1: Excellent. Now, Stuart, what, what um, highlights um, have you uh, uh, lived long in your memory from your, from your time playing for Devizes?
4: Uh, <clears throat> we had a, a very good VARs run, what, I suppose 20 years ago now. Um, and I suppose that was highs and lows for me because, you know, sort of uh, come back playing for the club at the start of that vars run, and um, having not sort of uh, semi retired from football, I suppose, after having children, um, and then being dropped for the, the last game of it, <laughs> um, was probably the low. So, all in one season, um, I had it all, but from the club point of view, I suppose when we won the, the league unbeaten, um, I think around the sort of 2000 mark like, was it, uh, somewhere around there, um although not playing first team at the time. I think from you know, that, that was huge. And that goes on from what Dan said, what we're trying to do. You know, At that point, we were doing well with the first team, but the reserves were high in, in their league and we had successful successful under-18 side as well. So it's, it's the models that we really were sort of basing this season on from our highs at that point.
1: Now, Dan, um, what is your most memorable game playing for Devizes Town?
8: Ashton and Backwell away I think was up there we beat them 8-2 I think 8-2 8-1. I actually got sent off after about 40 minutes but I'd like to think that I'd led the way <laughs> um, you know it was just that was when when Matt had just I think that was one of Matt's first games had just come in and a few other we had a few other players that had just come in and that was the start of the You know, it all sort of clicked that day. We'd had a few, Ashton Backwell, it was always, um, you know, they gave as good as they got all the time. And over the past few seasons, we'd had a few run-ins with them that were always quite heated and got very emotional. And they had a striker in particular, I think that was the third time. He got sent off at the same time as me. I think that was the third game on the spin he'd been sent off against us. So to come away after... You know, with everything we just seemed to do that day worked. Every shot we took, you know, found the top net. Every pass made its man. Um, And it was just a nice game to play. Um, That was definitely one of the the good games. That was one of the good games, yeah. So
1: in the the 40 minutes you played, did you manage to (laughs) score? Uh, Yeah, I think I did. I think I might have got the first. I can't remember. I'll have to have a back...
8: I'll have to look through the record books for that one. I think I did.
1: Well, that's that's something. Anyway, got the ball rolling. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's <laughs> what I tell them all. <laughs> Stuart, what about you? What's your most memorable game playing for Devizes Town?
4: Oh, uh, uh, probably. Uh, there's a couple. There's. I'd say Ilfra Coombe on that first debut. We needed a draw to stay in the Western League at that point, so we were in a similar position as what we were when took over as managers, really. And we we dogged out a 0-0 draw in the heat of uh, May Heat at the time as well. That was obviously memorable. And then uh, from a personal perspective, in terms of my own performance, I suppose, I remember a charred away on a Tuesday night. We uh, got a 1-0 win on that occasion. Um, And it just felt like, you know, come away, you know, having had a good performance and 1-0 clean sheet for a goalkeeper is always a bonus. So they're probably the two most memorable.
1: Now, Dan, we've talked about the highs. What about, well, not necessarily the lows, but what was the team that you hated playing against the most?
8: Canesham. Canesham was always, especially when they moved to the 4G, it was a horrible pitch and um, we never did well there. I think maybe once, I think we might have got a draw there. I remember we were 2-0 up at half-time one time, we lost 5-2. And we're playing well. <laughs> it was always they were always they played they played on it so well where they played on it every week they knocked the ball about and you just felt like you were chasing shadows every single time you played them. And Bristol Manor Farm, sort of when I was probably in my tw- early twenties, we played them a few times in the, when we were in the Premier Division then. Especially at that age, I always had a few drinks on a Friday night, and there was nowhere to hide when you played Bristol Manafar. They were big, they were strong, they were powerful. It was like a scene out of the Mighty Ducks, where you were just always getting pounded constantly. <laughs> They're the two people I hate going to, always, always away as well.
1: Up the creek without a paddle.
4: <laughs> yes, that's yeah, it. Very
1: much so. Um, what about you, Stuart? Any bogey teams?
4: Well, the paddle sort of references uh, quite up, really, because probably Malmesbury Vicks away when the when the rivers burst and they start playing again on basically mud. Um, That was always uh, not so much at home, but certainly away on that pitch. Um, No football to be played whatsoever. It was, you know, proper long ball stuff. Yeah, that was they were probably my buggy team from an away point of view.
1: Because as a yep. goalkeeper, obviously you'd have been quite close to the to the spectators. I mean, Dan had the pleasure of running around in the middle of the park, so I'm sure he, he didn't have to put up with what people were saying. At him. But I mean, were, were there a set of fans where you where you thought, oh, we've got them away, and they're gonna they're gonna be standing behind me, and they're gonna be calling me all the names under the sun and giving me a hard time?
8: I get that at most Wiltshire clubs. <laughs> I get that at a lot of Wiltshire clubs and Welton. I hate playing Welton. The loud. If I hear Green Army from those boys on the stand, you know, off, after the game, they're great. But when you're playing, you can hear Green Army all the time and you think, well, hey, shut up. And those Westbury young lads with that drum, the two teams, I just, here we go. Get through this. We can go home. So
1: <laughs> what, what about you, Stuart, then?
4: The abuse never really bothered me because I got it every week. But um, <laughs> from, uh, from a local perspective, I suppose that when you're a Melchon, you're always gonna get abuse. You know, two local clubs, it doesn't matter which team's doing well or not, you you're you're gonna get it regardless. You know, going back to this season away at Welton as well, our goalkeeper that day, he he got absolutely powers. Absolutely powers, but in good spirit as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's um it's part of the game, isn't it? You just gotta get on with it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I just want to qualify all of this. Having having spent many years promoting the good work of, um, you know, um, loving the <laughs> whistle and, and talking about abuse in football, I wasn't so. Sort of, I, I, I hope nobody thinks I'm, i was talking about somebody li- literally running from the pitch in fear of your life. <laughs> but, I mean, I've, I, I've 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 enjoyed. I know some of the characters at Melksham when I was going there regularly. They they did like to um they did like to get into the minds of um. Of, uh, of of the opponents, and I can remember one game, one of my first games. I it was against the star-studded lineup of Shepton Mallet, and of course, if you remember, Shepton Mallet managed to call upon the uh, the Bristol City veterans team, uh, including um, goalkeeper Steve Phillips. And um, I pointed out to one gentleman that um, that that was former professional goalkeeper Steve Phillips. And um, yes, yeah, Steve made a new friend that day. He was uh, he he couldn't pick the ball up in peace without this bloke telling him exactly what he's doing. <laughs> so that was that was a mistake anyway never mind right then moving swiftly on um Stuart one thing I wanted to get on the podcast is um uh, I know that there's a huge amount of work that's been going on off the pitch at Devizes over the over the lockdown period I mean I know you guys you know we're going to talk we'll talk I'll talk to Dan about the sort of ambitions for the for the team on the pitch but I mean off the pitch um it, there's been a lot of work going on hasn't there
4: Oh, a huge amount, a huge amount of work. Um, obviously, thanks to one of our sponsors, St Julian's uh, Building, they've um, redeveloped the stand basically on the far side. Uh, changed rooms are all been done out. Um, yeah, the tea hut is being done currently. Uh, dugouts. There's and lots more still to be done. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. Gives us a base um, to work from. You know, off the pitch and on the pitch, really.
1: Because I'm desperately hoping I get to come in the, 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 the clubhouse. The clubhouse is something we sort of took for granted. Well, I feel as if I've taken it for granted. Um, and last season, of course, sort of, you know, with social distancing, um, we've not been able to go in there. And it is just such an important part of, of the match experience, isn't it? Being able to have a drink with the players after the game and sort of, you know, having a chat with a, with a manager. And it, it, it's, it's a, you know, it's, 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 the, it's the single part of the whole Western League experience that I think I've missed the most.
4: Yeah, it's a huge part for every club, isn't it? And, um, you know, the more that the clubhouses get used and the more successful that is, the more successful generally as a club you are as well. So, you know, the whole experience of that match day um, for everybody has been over this COVID times. has you know, it's been lost. And I don't think any football has been the same really because of it.
1: Now, Dan... Um, I mean, you, you you've you've talked a bit about the ambition on the pitch, um, and obviously you're not going to go into great detail, I know. But I mean, you know, what what are you looking for um, this season? What are you what are your hopes and aspirations for the side? Let me ask this a different way: as a fan who likes to come to watch most of your certainly most of your home games and the odd away one, what can I look forward to this season?
8: I think there'll be you know with um, Ollie and Dave coming in we've got a bit of a mixture a few of the sort of local lads that were at other clubs have you know we've convinced them to come back you know trying to get any player to come and join you once you finish bottom of the league last two seasons is a hard task so we've spoken to them we've told them what's gone on and you know everyone's coming back that we've already had and we've spoken to a few others potentially that you know until pre-season starts you know what it's like I mean some of the rumors I've heard got flying around of the amount of players that we're Signing on this, that, and the other is ridiculous. Um, you know, I think Ollie and Dave have probably spoken to a thousand players in the past month between them. You know, Stu's been busy. I've been busy. Uh, I would say, you know, with the team's gone out and with the players we're looking at getting in, I'd be disappointed if we didn't finish in the top six, top seven, definitely. You know, maybe off off camera i might tell you that you'd be higher <laughs> <tired>, but <laughs> i'd be very disappointed with if everything comes to you know how we expect it or plan it i'd be very disappointed if we didn't finish above above there especially with the teams going out of the league
1: and i um, suppose the most important team to finish above at now is warminster
8: oh definitely you know they'll be having it i've <laughs> oh, got an easy six points off them, aren't we <laughs> 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 Fantastic. Um, I mean,
1: Stuart, I, I, I'm i going to finish with you. This is a first for me. Um, not only are we doing a three-way interview, um, which is, we've never done that on the podcast before. That was a poor choice of words. I might have to edit that out. <laughs> um, but... Um, Actually, I've made a lot of friends doing the podcast, and I've become friendly with many managers. But I've never actually had a friend of mine become a manager before, so this is a new thing for me. Um, but I'm I'm wondering where where do I where do I stand next season? Because of course, for the last couple of seasons, I've been stood next to you outside the clubhouse. So, well,
4: by all means, come and stand behind the dugout. But it'd be nice for you to uh, sit up in the stand and maybe do a commentary or two on us as well. Well, so, like, of course, uh...
1: I've I've lost my co-commentator now, haven't I? Because he's been stood <laughs> next to you. <laughs>
4: There is that, but I'm sure uh, there's a few others that might want to do it. I'm sure Tom Burks will do it, so you'll he'll, uh, he'll be up for that one, I should imagine, Ian. But yeah, it's, uh, you might have to wait till after the game for that beer and uh, we'll have a chat about the game afterwards then.
1: And a huge thank you um, to Stuart and Dan uh, for their time, and hopefully, we'll be hearing um, a bit more from them. Uh, next season so that really brings us to the end of this um, Herculean effort Jim Um, thank you very much um, um, for your time and uh, for bearing with me um, during these uncertain weeks it's been a really weird time um, for football but I guess I hope we're coming to the end of it now
2: fingers crossed and I'd just like to say a massive thanks to you again um, behalf of myself um, and All of the listeners, I know that people that listen to the podcast really appreciate all the hard work that you personally put into not only interviewing the players, but producing the podcast, uploading it and all the hours you put into it. It's really, really appreciated by everybody. So uh, a lot, a lot of thanks go go to you for all your hard efforts.
1: Well, I appreciate that. James, that's very kind of you to say that. I mean, you know, you've done a fantastic job since you've come in as social media manager, and um, you know, I really appreciate the you know our working relationship because it means that you know the creativity, the ideas, the campaigns that we do really is a team effort, and you're you know you're really important part of that team, and and so of course is Tom Hiscott. You know, I mean, poor old Tom hasn't had a bulletin to write for quite some time. Um, hopefully next season he will be back not only producing the bulletin the excellent bulletin that we uh, that, you know summarizes all the action from across both divisions every week but um, also we'll get him back on the podcast and that means that um, jim Jim can get an afternoon off and um, we'll get to hear the from the statsman statsman tom um, who uh, you know I've missed he's I was hoping to get him on this week but I think he's having a well-earned break uh, with his family so um I wish him the very best uh, and also I'd like to say thank you to our guests I mean the the podcast really wouldn't be anything without the guests that we have on every week and in fairness, we've had more guests on this week than we've had ever before. But um, So a special thank you then to Ben, Nathan, Lee, Kevin, Dan, John, Jake, Mitch, Stuart, Dave, Richard, Mike, Mark, Ross, Adam, Aaron, Stuart, Sean, Chris, Ryan, Tom, Kieran, Eamon, Brett, Craig, Dan, Ian, Stuart, Simon, Ella and Debbie, to name but a few. Thank you very much for your time and your support with the podcast. And there is, of course, one last thank you, and that is to you, the listeners, um, for bearing with us, uh, for sticking with us through these terrible times. We've kept this going when we had no football to talk about because I think we needed something about football to talk about. I kept this going because I needed to do it. We've endured the pandemic together, uh, and I hope we never have to suffer anything like this ever again. Uh, And we can go back to watching the beautiful game that we love in the best league in the world, the Family League, the Tool Station, Western League.